Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Today, I have the opportunity to deliver a message. As you know, Pastor Eric has been in our family series and wanted me to wrap up the series by speaking a little bit more directly to the ladies. Um, But I didn't want to do it by myself. I asked my friend Ashley to join me, and she is going to deliver a little different perspective. She and I have walked very different paths, and I think that um, even though we both base our path on the Word of God and we both walk with the Word being our source of strength, um, I think it's good for you to hear a perspective if your path maybe looks a little bit more like hers. Uh, Most of you know that I am Pastor Eric's wife. We've been married for a little over 24 years. We have three kids who are mostly grown. I say mostly because, you know, they get to a certain age and and the world says they're grown, but, you know, we're still, we're still working on them. We're still, we're still mom and dad. Um, our oldest daughter, Maddie, is 22. She got married this past summer, and so she really is getting grown up in a way that she hasn't before. And our second daughter, Laurel, is 20. She'll be 21 in December. And then our son, Dylan, the last one at home, is a senior in high school this year, and he's going to behave himself during the service so that I don't have to give him the mom stare while I am preaching. Amen? We're speaking in faith this morning. He tends to be the class clown in every scenario that he's in. But we love him. Um, So this morning, I want to address you ladies. But I want to lay some groundwork first. I've I'd named my message, Know Your Place. And before you throw stones, you should know that it's going to be a good place if it's coming from me. And Pastor Eric trusted me and Ashley to come and deliver the word this morning. I don't, what was he thinking? Like, I think of any duo he could have come up with. That's pretty dangerous. But he, he trusts us a lot, apparently. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> I titled the message, Know Your Place, because I think some women have a misconception of who they are and their authority in Christ. And I just want to lay some groundwork first. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, before I read this, I just want to say it doesn't matter um, what you've been taught before, if you've been in a church that maybe kept women suppressed. It doesn't matter if maybe even the person that you're married to has tried to uh, use scripture to keep you in a place that is less significant than they are. The word of God has a very distinct um, role for you, and that's what I want to bring to you this morning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So ladies, you are just as much created in the image of God as your male counterpart. You were given the same um, authority that man was given on this earth, which also means that you have the same amount of responsibility. 
And so I want to address that as well. But we are equal creations in God's eyes and for God's purpose. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse, starting in verse 15, this is God and he's speaking to the serpent. This is just after Adam and Eve have been deceived. They took the fruit off of the tree they weren't supposed to take fruit off of and they ate of it. And so now they have just opened up our world for sin to come in and the consequences of sin. And it says, this is God speaking to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and I have eaten from the tree and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and so dust you shall return. So we see the introduction of the curse that was brought on us by sin coming into the world, right? I'm going to take you back to the last part of verse 16 that says, And he shall rule over you. This is part of the curse for the man to rule over the woman. And how many of you know we can't pick and choose which parts of the curse we want to live under? Amen? We're either going to take it all or we're not going to take any of it. And Jesus reversed every curse for us. Praise God. Amen? And so let's look in the New Testament in uh, 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. It says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he, de he desires a good work. And then it goes on to say all the attributes the bishop must have. He must be blameless, not given to much wine, not violent, not greedy, not covetous. Verse 4 says, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So can we say that a man is intended to rule his house? Amen? Okay. Well, that word rule is very similar to the word in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, that says, Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, this is the wife he's talking to, and he's telling her to manage the house. So can we agree that both the man and the wife are supposed to manage the house together? You are supposed to manage the house along with your husband under the rule of the lordship of Jesus Christ. But let me get a little bit more distinct. What does that look like? What does it look like for you to rule your house alongside your husband? Um, one of the things that Eric and I do when we're sitting down with a couple who wants to get married is we make them establish some things that they're planning on uh, for their future to look like. We make them talk about how they intend to spend money, what things that they consider wise investments at different levels of prosperity. We make them talk about how many children they're planning on having, not only how many, but how they plan on disciplining their children. Because we know it's important for a man and his wife to have a plan, to walk into their marriage with a plan together, instead of getting married and looking at each other and going, wait, you expected what? I, I wanted six kids and you don't want any? And you'd be surprised how many people walk into a marriage with no 
um, discussion of expectations in that marriage, but it's God's will that you, you are able to walk intimately together. Um, Proverbs 12.4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Excellent in this verse means strength of influence. You have influence in the lives of your husband and in your kids. And that's what I mean by the title of this sermon saying, Know Your Place. Your place, your place is a place of influence. Now, it's up to you whether or not you use that position of influence for excellence and strength and godliness, or you use it to bring shame to your husband and to your household. Um, In Genesis chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1, this is the story of Sarah and Abraham. And as you know, Abraham and Sarah were promised a child. and They're getting up there in age. Well, it's not happening as fast as Sarah would like for it to happen. And at this point, she's not Sarah yet. She's still Sarai. And Abram is Abraham is Abram, not Abraham yet. So Sarah has an idea, and she says to her husband, you know what, it's not happening for me. Apparently I'm not able to bear children, so why don't you go and be with the maidservant and bear a child with her, and that'll be our child. So he does. The maidservant is the one who bears the first child of Abraham, and that doesn't go well at all, as you can imagine. And the maidservant starts to look down on Sarah, and it, it causes a lot of contention in the house. That in the end, Sarah has to um, actually send the, the maidservant away. She doesn't want anything to do with her anymore or the child that she bore. And uh, this is the way that Sarah used her influence with her husband to take him away from God's plan for his life. And <clears throat> you may not be able to identify with this, Um, being that you no longer have a maidservant. Maybe your husband wasn't that attracted to your maidservant. I don't know. But this isn't a typical um, situation for us now. But what we do have is the influence in our husband's life, and we have certain things that we use. I'll put it this way since we have young people in the room. We have tools, ladies, that we will sometimes influence our husband with to maybe get our way or get him to think like we do. And uh, we withhold certain things, and we cause him to, uh, to desire us to the point where he'll change his mind the way that we want him to, right? Am I speaking to anybody in this room? You don't have to say amen. That's okay. Guys, you stay with your eyes straight ahead. Don't, don't look around. The point is that you do have influence with your husband that you can use in an ungodly way, because let me tell you, ladies, that is just as ungodly as it is to send your husband to the maidservant, because God created intimacy as a vital part of your marriage, and it needs to be present at all times. Um, Another uh, situation I want to bring up to you is where a mother has influence with her children. If you'll turn to Genesis 27, and I'll paraphrase this story. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, and their names are Esau and Jacob. Well, you'll have to go back and read the first part of the story to see how the birthright got switched back and forth, but at this point, um, Isaac has taken more to his son Esau, and Rebekah has taken more to her son Jacob. They kind of each have their own partiality for their sons. Well, Isaac is very old at this point, and he knows that death is imminent, and he's blind at this point. Um, And so he sends for his son Esau, 
and he's ready to give him the blessing before he goes. He wants to bless his, his oldest son. And um, so he calls for him. He says, go prepare a meal for me and bring it to me, and I will give you the blessing before I pass. Well, Rebecca hears Isaac call for Esau, and she says, Jacob, come here. I've got a plan. We're going to make it to where you receive the blessing from your father instead of Esau. So they, I mean, it is an elaborate plan that she sucks her son into. They not only prepare the meal that Isaac asked for, she dresses Jacob up with fur because Esau is much hairier, and they want to trick dad in case he touches him. And so she puts hair on her son Jacob, and she tells him exactly what to do and what to say. So he goes in there fully intending on uh, manipulating the situation. Let's start in verse... Um, 18 with this story. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. So now he's even sucking God into the equation. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. I mean, he just this mom just set this son up for just more and more deception. Like he had to go in there and one lie after another. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And the word hands in this verse means her strength or her power. Your strength and your power lie in the influence that you have in those in your house. And you have a responsibility to cultivate godliness in your home through your influence with your husband and your kids. And let me tell you, ladies, a positive mentality and positive words can change everything. Your situation may seem bleak, but if you start thinking more positively and speaking more positively, it can turn your situation around. I had a lady come and talk to me not too long ago. Actually, it was a few years ago. And she was done. We had done marriage counseling with this couple, and... They were both very stubborn, and she came to me and said, I'm done. Today, I'm kicking him out. I said, okay, recap for me all of, all of the reasons that you're willing to end your marriage. And she began to tell me yet again how he does not help with the children. He doesn't help with baths at night. He doesn't help make lunches. Um, he doesn't help clean the house. They had dogs. He doesn't help clean up the dog hair. Um, she's doing everything on her own, even though she works full-time too, sometimes more hours than he does, yet he just will not lift a finger at home. And I just looked at her and I said, I understand why that would be frustrating. I said, but let me ask you a question. When you kick your husband out, who is going to do all of those things? Who will have to make the lunches? Who will have to give the kids baths? Who will have to clean up after the dogs? Who will be left to do all of those chores that you're so mad about having to do by yourself? And she said, well, I will, but at least, you know, it'll be fair. He's not there doing nothing. And I said, 
Let me ask you a question. What if you turned that situation around? The amount of work that you're doing is going to be the same. So what if you took those things, those tasks, and you sowed them as seed into your marriage? And you said, Lord, I'm going to have to do all of these things anyway, but now I am sowing them as seed to better my marriage. And I wish that I could tell you that she did that and that her marriage turned around, but she didn't. She looked at me like I was crazy. She left and she kicked her husband out that night. But my point is you can see a different situation than the one you have, and you can begin to speak about the positive, positive things that are there because there are. You may not see them yet, but it's probably because you haven't been looking for them. So start to see things more positively. Think about your marriage more positively and speak about it more positively. But let me... Um, you know, God made you creative. Do you know that you, he, he's a creator? He was creative and he made you in his image. So even though you may not feel like you're very creative, he made you creative. You can come up with a way to see things more positively, I promise you, if you're willing to. But ladies, let me, let me address this now. Your influence doesn't stop when you leave your house. You still have influence in the arenas that you go into. Many of you work full-time. Some of you just toting kids back and forth to school. You're up at the kids' school or even just here at the church. You have a realm of influence that you hold. So make sure that you're cultivating godliness or that you're reflecting the godliness that you're diligently cultivating in your home when you leave your home. And I said this in the first service, and I, I'm going to go there again. But first of all, look the part. Look the part when you leave your house. I've gone out so many times and seen women who I just think, ooh, how long ago did she give up? Because here's the thing. If you have a smile, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a size two. I'm saying that if you have a smile on your face and you look a little bit like you care about yourself, you're going to be a lot more approachable because you're going to interact with people all day, every day, everywhere you go that have trouble going on in their lives. And I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations open up out of the blue with total strangers. The other day I was in Ikea and started talking to a lady that works there. Over an hour I stood there talking to her. I don't know how she was able to stand there on the clock and talk to me for over an hour, but she did. But it just a conversation sparked, and we were able to share so much of our lives with one another that it was amazing, and she was just this beautiful, beautiful woman. But if you look like you've barely got it together or you don't have it together at all, you're not reflecting godliness or opening yourself up to shine a light that Jesus wants you to shine. Um, and it's not just about not being... Let me just say this. Just because a look worked for you in high school doesn't mean that it works now. There may be something that's in style, but it's not your style. So let's try to, uh, ladies, we tend to be guilty of this. I know I probably have at times, you know, gone off the rails a little bit when it comes to the things that I wear or the way that I'm presenting myself. Because nobody will hear what you have to say when you have a certain presentation about you. And I think that you have something to say. And speaking of that, make sure that your speech is good. At work, when everybody's bashing the boss, be the one that has something good to say about him. He may not have very many good things, but you can find the one good thing to say. Talk good about your husband when you're with your kids. 
Talk good about your husband when you're with your friends. Talk good about your kids when you're with your friends. Now, I know everybody needs to have that friend that they can go to and really vent some things and and get some encouragement from. But when you're with your friends, make sure that you're elevating your spouse and that you're not um, just taking another opportunity to drag him through the mud. Because the truth is, those words are seeds planted for your life. And you just never know by the things that you say when nobody else has anything good to say, how you're going to open up um, the opportunity for somebody to see how they can do things different. You'll be surprised how much attention will be turned to the light that shines on the inside of you just by not letting the negative stuff come out of your mouth. Amen? And I know some of you may be thinking, well, you're married to a pastor. It's probably a lot easier for you. (laughs) Some of you know my husband. (laughs) Number one, he hasn't always been a pastor. But number two... He has faults too. We both do. And we both have the choice to dwell on those or we can build each other up and be a source of inspiration for one another. I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to let Miss Ashley come. Y'all give, if you've been in the room before when she's ministered, you know she's a powerful woman of God. I don't have to tell you that. So y'all welcome her this morning. Amen. Thank you. What a great introduction. She wishes this would be someone like to walk around with you and introduce you just in your daily life. <laughs> Presenting at the cash register. Oh, stop, stop it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for letting me be here today. I was talking to Pastor Eric a couple weeks ago how this kind of came about. Just about how different the family structure is really now in comparison to even 50 years ago. You know, not every child has the opportunity to be raised with a mom and a dad under one roof. You know, you have grandparents and single parents and foster parents and D all of the above, you know, and that's kind of my story. I am a single mom and I am divorced and I have three kids and I was married for 11 years and uh, my kids are 11, 8, and 5. Their ages all just changed, so I look like I'm a bad mom. I'm like, they're, you know, like all under 12. (laughs) I know, it's hard to remember exactly, but there you go, I did it. Uh, And, you know, parenthood definitely, especially during divorce, really raises the bar. It raises the stakes. And because as parents, we're just, we're weird. You know, parenthood really changes you. And, And I think a perfect example of this is I was in my closet the other day cleaning some things out, and I found this little black bag. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. And so, you know, I sit down in my closet and I pour the black bag out into my hand, and uh, it's a a bunch of little baby teeth. And, and of course, my reaction is not to be, like, grossed out or surprised. I'm like, oh, it's baby teeth. You know, and you're, like, just enjoying basking in the memories of these teeth. And it kind of dawns on me. I have this out-of-body experience, like, wow, anyone else rocking maniacally giggling over a bag of teeth is a serial killer. That is straight creepy status right there. Throw the teeth away. Okay, like, <laughs> it's just a really great example of parenthood. You hold on to every moment. You know, you, you have this expectation of yourself. And so when I began to walk down the journey of divorce, when I realized just some things had happened and divorce was imminent, in some cases that was not my desire, but that's sometimes what has to happen. And so when I recognized that, I really started to study uh, 
what the effects were on children in divorce. Uh, because, of course, the question that all parents ask themselves is, how can I screw my children up the least? We know there's a margin there. We're all going to screw them up some. <laughs> so how can I just diminish those numbers um, and really protect them the best I can? And so I was not surprised to see that children that are products of divorce um, fare the worst when uh, there's the most conflict between the parents. And there's anxiety, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, parents use the children as bargaining tools. They overshare with the children, make the child more their friend. Uh, the child knows way too much. Uh, the results of that are devastating. I mean, that is where you get severe eating disorders, you get cutting, you get suicidal children, you get children that uh, really suffer. What I was not expecting to read is that the results are the same for children that are raised in homes with both parents, that that exact thing occurs. occurs. People that have both parents, but they still argue all the time, there's still anxiousness, anxiety, there's still pressure, they're still using the children against each other, oh, dad said one thing, mom said the other, those children suffer the same. And so for me, it was like, oh my gosh, the, how imperative it was to create peace and to have unity, even more so, walking through a divorce just became, just was so illuminated. It was illuminated to me. And I said, okay, I have to do whatever it takes to do that. And it's never too late. I feel like that's for somebody, is that it's never too late to begin to sow that peace and that unity into your relationship. You know what I mean? Because they're still your partner. Same thing with the family that comes with them. You know, in divorce, it's so devastating because not only do you lose your partner, but you, you divorce the family in some ways. You lose your family. Um, and so it's really imperative that you make an effort to develop a new type of relationship. And I am blessed because I work well with my ex-husband. We're partners in crime. We're raising kids. We're doing our best. There's a lot of drama still. We fail a lot, but I am blessed. I recognize that it's not always that way. And I have a wonderful extended family. But it was, I really had to shift my mindset and begin to view my ex as a brother in Christ and want what was best for him in a new way and care for him in a new way. I had that obligation as a Christian. And so I felt like the Lord gave me Proverbs 4.20 um, as kind of a blueprint of how to walk through this. And so we'll just begin in 4.20. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. And I want to stop right there because right off the bat, that's a promise. That if you let God's word penetrate your heart, he will bring you back to life. Most of you know when you're going through trauma, this spans the gamut. This is, this is not just divorce. You feel like the walking dead. You don't know how you're going to get from one minute to the next. Sometimes you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't know what end is up. But this says, if you let the word be buried deep in your heart, that God will bring you back to life. And I'll even go as far to say, it's not just going to bring you back to life. He'll bring your dreams back to life. He'll restore your hopes. He will let the ministry of your life just have a whole new reboot so it's, it's important to, to grab a hold of that promise. But what I love about that promise is it extends even beyond that. And it's that he will bring healing to your whole body. 
How many of you guys know when you're walking through a bad time, you're hard on your body? The stress of it, the anxiety of it, we pick up eating disorders, we abuse food. Heck, I'm guilty there. I mean, I will straight eat some chips up in a closet. I, I mean, I'm not joking. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's like, that's really my only thing. I just, I eat too many chips. That's a joke. Um, but I mean, you know, like cutting, suicide, there's all kinds of things that come with stress and anxiety. But this says, God, God's word says, let his word penetrate your heart and he will bring healing to your whole body. I love that. I clung to that. I still cling to that. So then we move on next to verse 23. And it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And I love this, but it's a little confusing. So in in my interpretation, that was, you need to watch your boundaries. You have got to make sure that not only you have healthy boundaries, but the boundaries around your children's hearts. When When they can't see, when they don't know, that you're protecting those. You have to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5. James 5 talks about it as well. You have to make sure you're committing to the right things and that you're not letting yourself go to places or be around people where you can't handle it and they can't handle you. You have to make sure that you're conducting yourself in the right way and that you're not putting yourself in situations where you're guaranteed to fail. Know your human nature. That, I mean, you know what I mean? Like There was just certain situations I couldn't step, step into because I knew that I just couldn't do it right. And so I would say the Lord is saying, you know, watch your boundaries. And, and this is, I don't want to be flippant, but like pick up a book. There's about 10,000 on boundaries, and it's a really imperative subject. So I cannot share with you all that that is, but if you're walking through that situation, you need to look at boundaries. Verse 24, avoid all perverse talk and stay away from corrupt speech. I loved Pastor Heather's take on this. I, I, there was so much wisdom. I love that her word had so much of the word in it. Um, but this is huge. And I tell you what, this is the hardest point by far of everything I am saying. <laughs> because if any of you ever talked to anybody in a breakup or gone through one, it's just like, well, then, and then they said, and then he didn't even, and he didn't even show up. And then when he showed up, you should have seen the look on his face. I mean, it's like, it just pours out of you. You need a squeegee for the person you're with to be like, oh, I just verbally barfed on you. I'm so sorry. That's just something. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's awful. It just comes out. And then you have this mess to clean up. And it really, what it does is it gives way to offense. And when I looked up offense in the Greek, it's scandalon. That's where we get our word scandal. And it is, it says that it's, it is a trap. It's a snare. It's bait. And it makes me think of like an animal that just kind of unwittingly steps into a trap and snap. They're in it. And where do you go when you're stuck in an offense? Nowhere. You're stuck there till you gnaw your own leg off, really, basically. That's what it comes back to. I mean, it's really a bad situation to be, and it just continues to feed and perpetuate and grow. And not only does it hurt the people around you, but it just only damages you. But it's hard. I know some of you are saying, you don't know the joker I'm with. Married or not married, you don't know this guy. Because when people, uh, and I, I say guy, but it's woman, you know, women too, or relationships, all relationships for that matter, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, all of the above. But they might not be the world's best people. You know what I mean? It, it's not easy. And that a lot of times gives us the right to then say what we want to say because we're not as bad as them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I do stuff, but not like that stuff. I mean, come on. 
But that's where you really have to put your actions where your faith is. I mean, you heard putting money where your mouth is. That, that is where you really have to choose, am I a Christian? Do I really ascribe to these things or do I not? So that, that was huge for me too. And I, and I have not always succeeded in that. I'm just, I don't know if y'all could tell that. But I, you know, I have failed in this area. So, but when the, the times that I've really walked in that, I can definitely tell a humongous difference. So then verse 25, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you in next 26. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. This reminds me of Hebrews 1, and this is a verse that really I, I literally say every day because it says, I lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets me. And I choose to run with endurance the race that is set before me with my eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith. That is where my focus is, is on Jesus Christ. And then not only with Jesus Christ, but how do I do that? It's through unity and honor. And Honor is an interesting thing because when I begin to study honor in the scripture, Proverbs 29 and Proverbs 18 talks about humility lending to or preceding honor. And usually with honor, you think like, oh, okay, the military, you know, this is like some really, you know, big deal and big strong guy. No, it's humility. It is humbling yourself. That means you don't always get to be right. That means that it's, you know, you don't get to do what you want or keep the kids when you feel like it because it's the principle of things and he should have known better or done better. Shouldn't have made me mad. That means that you have to do what's best for them. And I think the, the greatest way to look at honor for me is honor is celebrating who a person is without getting hung up on who they're not. You know, you look at, and I would even go as far to say, if you cannot honor who a person is just because they're very difficult, because that is very real, um, and I don't want to be flippant towards that, I mean, that's a very real thing. You might be dealing with someone who it's nearly impossible to honor because of their character. Then I would ask you to honor the position they hold as the father of your kids and as the partner that you had for so long. You know, you think about your dad. There's certain things you don't say to your dad. There's certain things you don't do around your dad. Why? Because it's your dad. You know, you're like, you know, that's dad. I'm just, you know, like, I really wanted to say this, and I was going to tell him, but I didn't. You know, I mean, there's just certain things you won't do, and it's the same thing with the, the father of your children. And so I take joy in serving him and in honoring him um, as service to Jesus. And... I really, I can tell you standing here today, sowing that respect and sowing that honor does pay off very much because I was not going to let the enemy take one more inch than he already took. He cannot have it. He cannot have, he will not have one more day of chaos. He will not have one more day of pain. And I have like open mouth, ugly cried in pillows many, many nights. I mean, it's not easy. But um, it, it's just, I'm not going to give him any more than I already have. And so I just, I know that this is challenging. Uh, but I can tell you, as standing here today, I'm not perfect, and I have violated all of these points, but I've also walked out all these points. And I'm telling you, we serve a faithful God. We serve a God who honors us, who loves us. And can I just make a side note? 
keep in mind where the real challenge comes is when your ex-partner takes on somebody else as well, like a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife, you're obligated to honor them and serve them. And I know that's for somebody. But I'm telling you, you will reap a harvest. God sees. I tell you what, guys, God really sees that. He sees the injustices. He sees when it's really, really hard. And if you don't always reap it here on earth the way you want, you will reap it in heaven. You will reap it in heaven. And you will reap it with your children because they will watch what you do. And not only that, they will rest. They will feel comfort in knowing you are not going to wig out. They really, really, really will. I mean, children are naturally little pot stirrers. I mean, even in the home, they're like, hey, can I do this, Mom? No, you can't do that. Hey, Dad, can I do this? Mom said yes. You know, like kids are famous for that. And when you're divorced, it's the same story, except then you're not, you can't even go to him in the next room and be like, what'd you say? Because I don't know what to say. I mean, like, you know, it's, and so my kids have come to me several times and been like, well, Dad, let us do this. And I know you don't let us do that, but he totally let us do it, so we did it. And, um, you know, blah, blah, you know, they're just waiting. They're waiting to stir the pot and see how things will happen. They can't help it. You know what I mean? Like, they're just little raw humans, you know? Uh, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's so cute. Thank you for trying to destroy everything. Um, it's such a blessing to me. And they are. They're waiting like, mom's going to wig out or, you know, what's she going to do? And my reaction to them is, okay, you know what I do know? I know big picture. Your dad loves you. And I sure love you. And what we both want in our hearts and our own way is we want what's best for you. And so we might have different rules at times, but uh, we want to work together when we can. And I appreciate that you brought that to me. I'll talk to your dad about it in our own time. And I can, it's like palpable, their disappointment. They're like, wah, wah, like, that was super boring. We'll just go back to stealing candy behind her back, I guess. It's pretty much the only thing we can do. <laughs> I find wrappers behind my pillows. Like, just throw it in the trash, and I won't know. <laughs> Shove it in the cushions. I don't check those, but every six months. But they just leave it. And I don't, we didn't eat candy, I don't know. I'm like, shh, anyway, I just... <laughs> <laughs> but they're watching you, and it is making an impact. They will reap that in their lives. Like the harvest of that will come a lot quicker than you think. So I hope this is, is truly beneficial for you. I know the holidays are coming up, and this can be used in any relationship, so you're welcome. Y'all want the politics start rolling? You know what I mean? The turkey comes out and everything. It's just, y'all be like, you know what? Proverbs 4. <clears throat> like go in your prayer closet. <laughs> Let's get into that. Okay, thank you. I just want to go ahead and say a quick prayer over you guys. Thank you, Father, so much for this word. Thank you, Jesus, that this is, that this is all based around what you want to say, Father God. And I thank you for each and every individual in this room, Lord God. I pray to the unity of the marriages here, Lord Jesus, and even people that are walking that need unity in other ways, Father God. I just speak life into those relationships. We take authority in Jesus' name over division, over the assignment to tear down the American family, or the family and the world, Lord Jesus. We just, we bind that up in the name of Jesus, and we're going to walk in freedom, and we will walk in dignity, and we will walk in unity, Lord God. And I pray that you just give us 
us the strength. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen us with the ability to walk upright, to do the right thing, to do the hard thing, Father God. I pray that you plant this seed deep, Lord Jesus, and everyone that was under the sound of my voice, even listening afterward, Lord Jesus, will find this encouraging, and Holy Spirit, speak to them in your own way. Touch their hearts, Father God. Thank you, Jesus, for everyone in this room. I just pray that you bless us and protect us coming and going. Thank you for one cause, Lord Jesus. And we just lift up one cause, lift up Pastor Eric and Heather at this time. And we give thankfulness to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.